From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. As cliche as it is to say, games aren't played on paper, and the men's basketball squad gave Tennessee a shocking reminder that anything can happen on a given night in the O-Dome. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss that remarkable upset, the latest on the transfer portal and coaching carousel for football, the SEC's ambitious plan for the baseball season, Urban Meyer's ascension to the ranks of the NFL, and candidates for a hypothetical president of the sports world in the PAT. Then, standout transfer point guard Tyree Appleby joins us to detail his path from the Horizon League all the way to the SEC. But first, going up against a top 10 team while missing multiple key players and on a bit of a losing skid is generally not a recipe for success. But Mike White's team put the rest of the league on notice that when they put everything together, even shorthanded, they can be very dangerous. So to open this week's roundtable, we asked Chris to make sense of one of the biggest upsets of the season in college basketball. Florida wasn't playing great. They were coming off a a loss at Mississippi State, in which they were absolutely dominated, uh, thoroughly objectively dominated inside uh, where it came to points in the pain, rebounding, offensive rebounding, even though this ended up being a three-point game. Then uh, uh, you, don't, you obviously don't have Keontae Johnson. You knew that. You don't have Scotty Lewis for a third straight game. And then two hours for the game, you find out Colin Castleton isn't playing because he turned his ankle at Mississippi State late in that game, though he came back in, it swelled up too much. He was in too much pain to play. So now here comes Tennessee. They're the sixth-ranked team in the country. They have the number two rated defense in the in, in the nation, according to Ken Palm. They're allowing 57 points a game, allowing teams to shoot, uh, th- I think, 30, 37.5%. Hmm. And so here's this undermanned team, undersized team, no chance, right? And yet what we saw was a different version of Florida than we'd seen than since maybe back in November when – they were playing with some bounce when they were playing with Keontae and all these guys and running up and down the floor. But the, the, the nature of the, of the, of the once the one sided nature of the game was as, as surprising as anything. The fact that they out rebounded Tennessee, they outscored them inside by a huge margin. Um, you got incredible uh, uh, high product, high productivity minutes from Jason Chitobo, who had played two minutes in the SEC all season. Wow. From Quez Glover, a Knoxville native who had his best game as a Gator, I thought, uh, in terms of playing to his strengths, which is speed and, and, and shooting when he's open and looking for open men. Uh, Niles Lane has a, obviously a long ways to go with his offensive game, but they trust him when it comes to defense. And uh, he, he was on the perimeter guarding guys. Uh, Osayo Sipo looks a little questionable out there in terms of some decisions. But he made some good decisions, and he made some plays in crucial parts of the game when Tennessee was trying to, uh, you know, kind of chip away at that lead that Florida built early. And then you go to the guys that were out there, uh, the, the normal guys. Noah Locke was really, really good. Trey Mann was was really, really good. Tyree Appleby, his, I, I think across the board, his best game. 
in terms of pure point guard play. Uh, just it's a stunning result. It was the the fourth time Mike White had beaten a top ten team by at least seventeen points. Uh, it's the largest, uh, uh, most lopsided uh, uh, margin of victory in a game against a uh, a top ten team, tying what the o- what the o six o seven team did to Ohio State two days before Christmas. That on the way to a second national championship. So um, the biggest thing Florida has to worry about now, Adam, is uh, sitting back and saying, oh, excuse me, I, I didn't mention Omar Payne. Mm-hmm. Omar Payne took Colin Castleton's place, nine points, nine rebounds, five blocked shots, hit four or five shots. This is, this is the best Omar Payne's been since Auburn last year, which was Florida's last top 10 win. So my Omar is kind of a microcosm of the point I was about to make. The biggest danger here is thinking everything's okay. It's not. Mm-hmm. If you don't play with, if you don't come with the same energy, the same kind of thought process, uh, when you go to Georgia this week, you're going to lose um, because this team, obviously, its its whole was much better than its individual parts last night. And I think one of the reasons they responded the way they did because Mike White told them before the game, these guys never know if they're going to play or not. You don't know how much they're going to play. He told them before, we need all you guys to play, mm-hmm. and maybe their attitude a little bit different. Will that be their attitude this week when Scotty Lewis is back? When Colin Castleton presumably can be back, uh, George is a team Florida should beat even on the road, I think. Um, but how they respond to success and a little prosperity uh, is something to watch because I think I wrote a story last week coming off the old Miss win about how they stepped up in the last, uh, I think, six and a half minutes of that game, and they needed to do that at Mississippi State. They didn't. Okay, they, they, Even though they knew what they were supposed to do, they really didn't have that there. They got, they got crushed. Uh, at Mississippi State uh, when it came to physicality. How are they going to respond going to Georgia? So uh, they know how, how they need to play to perform at their highest level. Uh, whether or not that can travel to Athens is something, you know, we'll tune in Saturday and find out at 2 o'clock. You know, it's, it's funny, too, because Mike White had said, I think, with the day before the game that right now he didn't think they were an NCAA tournament team. And then after the game, he said, yeah, well, that I wasn't expecting that, you know, of anybody. I'm as surprised as anybody else is. Uh, I know that if the answer to this were easy, uh, they would be doing it. But how do they bottle what we saw against Tennessee and translate that? Because, again, if it's just an anomaly and it doesn't change the overall track of the season, it doesn't mean as much. How, how do they make that from a coaching staff standpoint, how do they take that and have that be a repeatable game for them? The coaches are all going to be talking about that. That's all they're going to be talking about between now and, and, and Saturday. It's just the intake of it. Do they listen to that? And or and I'm sure they'll sit there and nod their heads and whatever, but but is that really who the, the, the team they're going to be? I asked Omar Payne after the game last night, which is the Gator team, the one the one that was out there at Mississippi State that got destroyed inside or the one that destroys Tennessee inside, one of the – most uh, uh, you know intense and and energetic teams in the country, and his his because it's the they're both the Gator teams. <laughs> right. one, one one played a lot better than the other, which which mm-hmm. is exactly what happened. Probably a stupid question on my part and a very astute answer on his part. But I I think they want to be that team of last night. Obviously, to your point, it's I think it's in the players. But at the same time, these guys are going to go into this game again. If Scotty and Castleton are back, these guys are going to go into the game. Jason Tobin is going to go to that game. He, he's not going to play as much. Um, I wonder if Omar Payne and Colin Castleton maybe don't start the game together, which would give Florida a little bit of a different look. But then you're going to sit somebody down. Who are you mm-hmm. sitting down? You sitting down Noah Locke? You sitting down Appleby? You sitting down Trey Mann? And one of them has to sit down if that happens. How, do the, how does that guy respond? 
he's probably still going to get about the same minutes, mm-hmm. give or take. Or is he okay sacrificing two or three minutes here for the betterment of the team? Because right now they got a they're they're having to remake their team for the I say for the fourth or fifth time this year. They had to do it after Keontae. They had to, had to do it losing uh, uh, Scotty. They had to do it after do it losing Castle. Now they're getting the guys back. They have to do it again. So the long answer to your short question is I don't know, but it's up to the players to figure that out because the coaches are going to be telling them exactly what they need to tell them, exactly what they told them going into that game. They listen that time. Or are they going to listen this time? Well, I remember the last time we talked here, we said, oh, Kentucky's coming in, you know, they're they're playing really poorly, and then you run into them at the wrong time, you lose by 20. So, it, again, as you noted, you just never know, especially in this very weird season, you never That's know right. who's going to show up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about football now in terms of guys we expect to show up in the 2021 season, Scott. Uh, since the last time we spoke a couple weeks ago, a uh, number of staff changes announcements and also this is uh this is transfer portal time so some guys coming in and going out as well uh give us the rundown where we are with uh with Florida football at the moment well the transport portal is the it's like the most popular destination in sports now adam <laughs> I think it's like spinning like crazy of course now that classes start across the country uh, a lot of these guys have finalized but you know just since the lot end of last season i mean the, the big name, probably familiar with Gator fans, James Houston, James Houston, the linebacker, entered his name in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, this guy had over 100 career tackles, uh, a reserve piece for the Gators. Uh, Josiah Pierre, another young linebacker, he landed at Texas Tech. But, you know, those guys are going, and there could be more, who knows, by the end of the spring and summer. That's the way college football works, especially in 2020, 2021. Uh, but the Gators, uh, you look at their three pieces they've added from the transfer portal, defensive tackle Antonio Shelton from Penn State, uh, another defensive tackle Daquan Newkirk uh, from Auburn, and then, of course, the the one I think that has caught most Gators' attention is the running back from Clemson, Demarcus Bowman. You can go back to uh, 2019 uh, when he was one of the top running back recruits in the country out of Lakeland. A lot of Gator fans thought they were going to land him. He ends up going to Clemson, uh, didn't get to play much, and, you know, he, he's looking for other options. And uh, Florida, certainly, they wanted him uh, when he was coming out of high school, and now they have him. So he, he had some uh, talent and depth to that backfield position. Uh, so those are the three, the three transfers the Gators have added so far officially. And then, of course, you have the, the early enrollees, 14 of those guys started class in January. I think the one that I'm most interested to see when spring starts is the defensive back from Miami, Palmetto, uh, Jason Marshall Jr. Uh, he's the only five-star that came in in this 2021 class, unless they add another one next month on National Signing Day, too. Uh, but this guy, from everything I've heard, read, uh, people who have watched him play, he's a, he's a very physical talent. You know, all you got to do is look at his pictures on the Internet if you want to see him. He – he does not look like he's 18 years old. He looks like a man. So uh, I would imagine in a position that's losing, you know, a lot of veteran players and certainly underperformed last season, uh, he's going to get a, an early look right away. So uh, it's that time of year. We'll be able to, uh, I'm sure, update, have more updates, Adam. Not necessarily for the rest of the spring semester, but certainly when the summer sessions start. And, uh, you know, there's going to be more players added to the roster I'm sure there'll be, you know, maybe another player to not here. Uh, but that is, uh, like I said, that's the coach or the, uh, 
the transfer portal. Who is going to be leading these guys? That's a good question because that's changing, right? We've talked about uh, the outgoing coaches. Also, uh, we have some new members of the staff and, and one member of the staff who is staying, who it was widely reported was leaving. Well, there's a, been a lot of speculation with the coaches. Uh, that's the nature of the beast this time of year. Uh, it Sometimes uh, it turns out to be true, uh, but I was actually down in the office this week and Dan Mullen was still head coach of Florida, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I wasn't for sure if he was or not. I just wanted to kind of, you know, see if he's still here. Uh, luckily, all all reports are he's still here. Uh, Christian Robinson, the linebackers coach, who I think personally is one of the really good guys on the staff and an up-and-coming coach. A lot of reports out there about him accepting an offer from Michigan, but five days later, he's still at Florida. So, you know, that's just the way it is. And, you know, I'm sitting here on whatever we're in mid-January as we talk. There could still be some coaching changes. The, the, the coaching carousel never stops spinning. Mm-hmm. I think we saw that in Tennessee this week. Uh, yeah. That, that's, you know, you just never know. Even after you think guys might be safe, like Jeremy Pruitt and Tom Herman at Texas, both mm-hmm. schools make major moves. And, of course, once that happens, it opens up a whole staff of possibilities, and then you start hearing the rumors. That's just the, the business. Uh, but right now, other than – obviously what we know is Ron English and Torian Gray, uh, the secondary coaches last season are no longer here. Torian Gray has landed at South Carolina where he's you know working with uh, Shane Beamer, a guy who we knew back in his Virginia Tech days. The big news for the Gators in terms of new faces is Wesley McGriff, uh, the veteran SEC coach who came in from Auburn. Florida's his fifth school in the league. Uh, wow. Been, a, been at Ole Miss. He was defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Been a couple of stops at Auburn. Been at Vanderbilt. Been at Kentucky. And now he's a Florida guy who's got the reputation of being a very good recruiter, which is uh, certainly something that I'm sure uh, factored into that decision. But also he coaches secondary. It was one of those deals where Mullen hasn't officially named his title yet, so we're still waiting to see exactly what position group he's going to coach, how that shakes out. Uh, but he, he, his history is on the defensive side. Uh, he's been everything from a defensive coordinator to a you know, safeties coach, cornerbacks coach, or just secondary coach. So it's never boring in college football, Adam. It certainly isn't. Uh, and again, still more more changes to see, more moves to be made, because as you noted, now Tennessee is an open job. Who goes there? What pieces move on the board after that happens? Uh, it is. It's it's pretty much the entire month of January, and then in this year, uh, some February as well before we get all those answers. Obviously, there could be more movement before spring. I, I don't have any reason to believe that's going to be the case with the Gators staff. I mean, they still have an official open position in terms of their coaching staff. So, you know, that certainly will be filled by uh, the start of spring football in, what, early March? Uh, it's an important year going into spring because so far you've seen the, the two coaches who are no longer here from last year. They were the secondary guys, the coaches of the safeties and quarterbacks. So you also have Ty Grantham, who is still here, and uh, he's going to be working with some new coaches with McGriff, the first one on site. So there'll be some changes there in personnel and coaches and uh, perhaps philosophy. I mean, uh, you know, that was a point of weakness for the Gators in 2020. So I'm sure they'll want to uh, tweak that uh, tweak that group some and maybe what they do back there. So spring football will be going on. As far as competitions that count, 
Gators have a lot of those in the spring that are performing at a very high level. Gymnastics is number one in the country. They got underway. Baseball preseason number one. They are a few weeks away. And, and Scott, we found out that it's going to be a, a pretty traditional schedule for baseball and especially across the SEC, trying to maintain as much normalcy as, as possible here in this uh, in this weird year. Yeah, that was big news recently. The ADs of the SEC voted to have a regular 30-game conference schedule. Uh, obviously, it's going to be limited capacity, but I think baseball is similar to football in some ways. You know, it's outdoors, a little different approach when it comes to social distancing and, and COVID fears, maybe. Uh, but for Florida, I mean, this is looking up to be a really promising season. I mean, uh, when they announced the schedule, you know, right away, they're, they're hosting Miami in the first three games in the history of the new Florida ballpark. Miami and Florida, you know, that's really one of their – Traditional rivals is one of the two of the best programs in the country. Miami's kind of been climbing back in recent years. So it's going to be an eventful, uh, what, February 19th through 21st at the new ballpark. Uh, and it's a Gators team that, Adam, you know, you look at it, uh, they have a lot of guys coming back, Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich. And, probably, again, I, we say this every year about this team under Kevin O'Sullivan. It's got the deepest pitching staff in the country, and they're a unanimous number one in all 37 college baseball polls. It's amazing. So, you know, it's like they're getting a lot of respect. They'll have to go out there and earn it, obviously, when Miami comes into town. But uh, it's shaping up to be a really – uh, exciting season for Florida baseball fans when you factor in what kind of team is moving into this new stadium. Some news that that certainly rocked college football and the NFL as well. Anytime there's a high-profile college coach that goes to the league for the first time, everyone wants to know, is he going to pan out? Is he going to be Pete Carroll or is he going to be Nick Saban? Which way is it going to go? Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Uh, you guys know Urban. You know the way he runs a program. Do you think that will translate well to the NFL, especially a place like Jacksonville with a very long history of losing with a guy in Urban who has a long history of only winning. I wonder if Urban would have been so um, amenable to taking that post if they didn't have the number one pick. I think during his press conference, he made reference that that was a a huge uh, uh, lure. Uh, The fact he can get that franchise quarterback, we're going to presume, of course, that it's it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, and it should be, I would think. Um, I just think it's this this is a pretty good matchup. Okay, I'll say whenever people ask me, you know, people always point to the failure of Steve Spurrier in the National Football League. Steve Spurrier picked the wrong team, the wrong organization, the wrong owner. He went to some play that was totally dysfunctional. And he really didn't have any help. I thought, think he thought he was going to get a general manager. He thought Bobby Bether would get there. There were some other guys he thought was, were going to be there to help him personnel-wise, hire coaches that never materialized, ends up bringing all these Gators in. It, it, it was kind of doomed from, I think, the beginning. Um, you know, Urban Meyer, obviously, is a, is a master of organization. He'll have quite the plan. He made reference any number of times during a press conference about hiring a great staff. Um, he'll do that to his satisfaction, but like anything else, how, uh, usually if you're an NFL coach who gets an NFL job, you're used to winning probably 80% of your games. Okay. So how is Urban Meyer going to react to if next year when he's a lot better, say at six and 10, how, how's he going to go through the grind of 17, 18 weeks and to be being able to accept, uh, not playing championship football. Um, he know, he knows that's a pitfall going in, obviously, but all these coaches, the best coaches 
all want to know how they would do at the highest level. That's in the back right. of every one of their minds. It's just a question of whether or not they want to scratch that itch. Some coaches do it. Some of them don't. Um, I think, again, I made the point. Joe Paterno, Mike Krzyzewski, uh, these guys had chances to be uh, pro coaches as well. Um, Billy Donovan obvi obviously decided to do it. Uh, but then you have these guys coming out of nowhere the last couple years. Uh, Matt Rule to Carolina Panthers. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury to the – Arizona Cardinals um, jury's still out on both of those guys, but uh, uh, you know, if you on the, on the, just the outside looking in, that looks like a really good hire for Jacksonville, given his ties to this state, given what he's walking into. Um, he's been away. Let's assume that he's, his, he's mentally, uh, uh, his batteries recharged. Um, I like the hire. Um, it's going to sell tickets. And fans up there excited about it. Good for Urban Meyer, and we'll see what happens when he gets there. Obviously, that that'll be one of the one of the big stories in, of the of the NFL season in 2021. Yeah, I'm like Chris. I think it's a home run hire. I mean, I think all you have to do is look at the news reports in terms of ticket sales to what Jacksonville fans think about it. Uh, they're selling some tickets over there. They haven't at a pace, uh, you know, that they haven't done in a while. So to me, it's a fascinating hire. I mean, if I was in the ownership of Jacksonville and I was in the room helping make decisions, I would have been fully pushing to hire Urban Meyer because of a lot of things that Chris just said. Uh, I think he's a master organizer, a master motivator. What's going to be fascinating to me, though, is he's a complex guy, as we all know. Uh, he's one of the – him and Nick Saban are the two best college coaches of the generation. We know what Nick Saban did in his short stint in the NFL. I think one thing Urban might have to his advantage, the game has evolved to more like the kind of offense that he runs. I think he's got more experience even than Saban did when he took the Miami job, so he's seen more things. So he's got some advantages there. Uh, but, you know, if they lose their third game, like, you know, they did the LSU that one year, he starts to break down post-game, then I know it's going to be trouble. <laughs> you can't ride that roller coaster in the NFL. Uh, like Chris said, you might finish 6-10 and 10 with a team that is pretty good that a couple of plays here and there, you're 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, nine and seven playoffs. That's just the NFL. The, the line, uh, the margin for error is so thin, a lot smaller than at the top of college football. So, uh, so there's no Vanderbilts on the schedule. So anyway, that, I just think it's a really – Really good hire. It's going to be fascinating to watch. And now, if he and so far, just from what I've seen, he's he's going after a kind of coaching staff that, you know, I think that it's going to be a mix. It sounds like from maybe people who have NFL experience, people he's worked with. Um, but I, I just and guess what? The biggest factor in all this, I think, what lines up for success, <laughs> if he gets Trevor Lawrence, I think he's the best quarterback available in the draft and maybe a decade. I mean, I think this guy's going to be a really good player. I want to move on to our PAT now. And, and as we are having this conversation, uh, it is inauguration day, but I don't want to talk about Washington. I want to talk about the sports world. There is no president of the sports world, but arguably there should be, right? We have lots of issues that we, we, we need presidents and czars of individual sports, let alone the entire sports world. But it got me thinking, if you could appoint somebody to basically run 
sports and make a lot of these decisions that get argued about at every level and never get resolved, who do you think would be the best candidates to be president of the sports world? One guy who I just think is a very, very interesting guy. He's engaged on social media. He's won a championship as an owner. Uh, he's probably a guy who can run a league is Mark Cuban. He's obviously knows about branding mm-hmm. uh, with his TV show. I remember in 19, he was, he was the owner of the, Ma- of the Mavericks just for a few years. And I was doing a story back in 1999 on young up and coming owners uh, in, in professional sports. And I called the Dallas Mavericks to try to uh, get an interview with them. And the person said, he doesn't do interviews, but just email him. And damn, if I didn't just have this long email exchange and that ended up being uh, my, my, my interview with him. So he's always open to things. Even now, he's supposedly now, he gives out his email and he actually checks it. No, no, he, do, no, that he does to yeah. this day. And he will answer you. Like if you tweet at him sometimes, he, he, he will answer it. He's knowledgeable about a, 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 lot, a lot of facets of things. I think he's fair-minded. Um, he's pro athlete. He's done a lot of things for that organization in terms of, you know, making those athletes feel special. Um, but that's somebody, and, and I'm probably missing somebody. Uh, I'm thinking along the sports line, uh, uh, you know, somebody like, like maybe, like maybe like Condoleezza Rice might be somebody who could, mm-hmm. who could oversee uh, all the sports, but I know she has a tremendous sports background. And they thought of her about, you know, obviously she did, her, she did the, 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 Rice com- the Rice Commission and, and what have you. She was on the first college football playoff committee as well. She's obviously got her toes dipped in the sports water. So uh, I'm probably, there's probably somebody, you always hit us with these PATs, like, like right before we, we, we do this <laughs> podcast. So in terms of uh, researching and Googling, I'm probably missing some people. But those are the two guys or two people that maybe come to my mind. I mean, I, I'm going with Dennis Rodman. Uh, he's only got international relations with North Korea. He helped a lot of the issues there that got solved. Uh, so, you know, this guy obviously knows the NBA. Uh, he knows the do's and don'ts when it comes to, you know. He doesn't know the don'ts. Well, he doesn't know the don'ts very well. He does now. He's eight. <laughs> um, no, Adam, I think someone who's – his name has been linked to the baseball commissioner many times, but I think he'd make a great commissioner of any sport is Bob Costas. I've, I've just always really respected Bob Costas. I think he's one of the most cerebral sports broadcasters in history. He's on my, he's on my Mount Rushmore of all-around broadcasters. He's done the NBA, Major League Baseball. He's mm-hmm. done the Olympics. He's quick on his feet. And I've always thought – you know, he's ha- he has his priorities right where the game or the sport is above any individual. And I, I would feel comfortable with uh, that kind of personality managing, you know, whatever a league. But I just, you know, I've always liked him. And uh, I don't have a, a, as great of a story as Chris about Mark Cuban, but I one time served Bob Costas eliminated the 1992 PGA Championship. So, you know, wow. I, I we have a connection, yes. You guys brought it today. So much so, I do not have anything to add. I think you guys have great choices. Uh, I'm partial. I'm partial to Mark Cuban. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense, checks a lot of boxes. So uh, I, I award the points to Chris today. But there's always next week, Scott, where you can bring it and topple him in the PAT. Uh, thank you guys both for everyone out there. Be sure to follow him at Gators Scott at Gators Chris, especially with basketball coming up this weekend, and check out FloridaGators.com for all of their content. Uh, Gentlemen, 
May you, may you be presidential in your endeavors until the next time we talk. Well, thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And I will, uh, I'll shoot you a PAT next week that you keep to yourself so I can be ahead of the curve. So you, that's right. So you can be yeah. the champion of the week. Yes. I'll do my research. Given the challenges COVID has presented to the men's basketball squad, opportunities have been readily available for guys ready to step up. One beneficiary has been Tyree Appleby, the versatile transfer from Cleveland State. How Appleby ultimately became a Gator is a story about relationships and bonds built over time, which in this case was about reconnecting with his older brother's coaching staff. I grew up with two brothers and one sister, um, and one of them played for Coach White, you know, like leading, leading up on like growing up out of high school and everything, but um before basketball you know i was really just you know watching my siblings play because you know i'm the, I'm the youngest out of everybody so just growing up and you know seeing them play sports and you know i think i just found like my love for the um sports any sport at a young age i think um that our parents you know my parents like they didn't really push us to play sports you know but since they um, play basketball and um, everything out of high school, so I think it just carried over. Yeah, what was it like having that, all those older siblings that, that are playing? I mean, in terms of the, the roots of basketball run pretty deep in your family. So how big of an impact did that have on you? I think it did. I think it had a big impact, you know, because watching them play, you know, made me want to play as much, like, you know, much more. They would always, you know, I would always go with them to like the gym or anything, you know, play with the older kids and everything like that. So I think that impact made me better, like, you know, as a player today and like as a better person. What's it like growing up on a on a base? I mean, it, in theory, it sounds cool. Maybe it's not. I, don't, I'm, I've, I have like a, a Top Gun thing in my head, but that probably isn't real. <laughs> I think um, I think it's just like, you know, like a like a normal City-wise, it's just, you know, like, on a base with, like, you know, military and, like, the protection and everything like that. But mm-hmm. um, it had, like, schools, stores, and everything like that. But, yeah, it was cool, though. I liked it. And it was a lot of people that lived on base as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, it gave me time to, like, you know, hang out with friends and, like, you know, just meet a lot of new people. So, obviously, you know, basketball was – it was in the blood. But when did you – pick up a ball for the first time? When did you really commit to the game and, and realize it was something that you, you, you loved? Um, I first picked up the ball when I was about four. You know, I, I had a love for the game because that's what, like, that's what my um, parents, you know, my siblings played. But it was going into my seventh grade year. Um, my dad, you know, we talked, and my parents, we talked, we talked about, um, you know, it's time for one sport now. You know, you're going into, like, you know, the – middle school um, basketball team and everything like that, you know, it's time for one sport. So, you know, they asked me what I wanted to play, and, and that's when I said basketball. I'm sure there's there's multiple answers for this, but I'm curious if you think about your biggest athletic influence. Who has been the most important figure in shaping your basketball journey to this point? I would say my dad and my brother. Uh, every time I, you know, I always have a basketball question, or, you know what I'm saying, question – questioning anything about basketball you know that's that's who I call first to see you know their opinions about it because you know they watch all my games you know they they, they know my game so that's who I think have like the biggest impact and influences on basketball with me in terms of your other family members can you tell us where everybody played um so my brother played for coach white at um, Louisiana Tech and um after that he went overseas 
they went to Prague, um, Czech Republic and stuff like that. My sister, she went to Gremlin State in Louisiana. That's about three minutes up the road from Louisiana Tech. She went overseas last year. That's um that's uh where the two that mainly play went. My other brother, he just went to the Air Force. I acknowledge this is an unfair question. I'm gonna ask you anyway. Who's the best in the family? Like if you guys, if you, it's, it's, it's Thanksgiving, right? We're going to play. Let's, let's get everybody together. Let's get out on the court. Who is the best basketball player in the, the Applebee family? I say right now is my brother right now. Not okay. even going to lie, it's my brother right now. <laughs> would, would he say the same thing or are you just being modest? No, nah, he'll say that. He'll say that. That's my brother right now. <laughs> I, I'm a, I, I think I can get him in about a year or two though. Okay. What's going to get you over that hump to, to overtake him? Um, I really think I need some more moves for him. Okay. You know, honestly, I think I need some more moves for him. That's really about it. Um, so you talked about the places that, that they ended up going. When you were getting recruited, what do you remember about that process? What schools were most interested in you? And why did you end up at Cleveland State at the time? Um, so out of high school, I didn't really, I didn't have like any D1 offers, you know, coming out of my senior year. And um, was talking around, you know, with a lot of people, and I um, talked to this man named Rob Meander, and he gave uh, he gave me a chance to play on his, um, you know, his AAU team as an unsigned senior. And we went to a tournament in Dallas. It was like the beginning of, you know, the AAU period. I had a, like a real good like session, you know, with the four games that we played. And um, after that night, um, my phone started. Me and my dad's phone started, you know, blowing up. Yes, college coaches and everything like that. And I was going to go to a JUCO, you know, because I didn't have any D1 offers. So, like, my whole mind, was, you know, was set on a JUCO. So I visited about two or three JUCOs already. And Cleveland State was the first, um, you know, called me and uh, they wanted to get me on a visit. And so I went up there and, you know, I love the city. Coaching staff uh, made it feel like home. And so that's when I had committed to Cleveland State. In terms of your, your time there before you transferred, what stands out? What memories did you make there that uh, that'll really stay with you for a long time? Um, the teammates that I had, you know, the teammates that I had, you know, my first year, um, we had like about six seniors. You know, they taught me how to lead, you know, by example, you know, at a young age, you know, I really didn't come prepared, you know, for like, you know, big leadership. But after my freshman year, you know, I had to be a leader on the team because all we had, we had about six or seven incoming freshmen. And so as much experience that I had coming off my freshman year, I had to step up and lead. And so I think the memories there with that team, how they used to fight, you know, every night and everything, even if we won or lost, you know, they still came out fighting and everything. So that's my favorite memory with that, um, Cleveland State. So when you decided to transfer, what went into that decision and what were you looking for as you tried to figure out where you would go next? Um, since I was coming off of a good year, my sophomore year, I thought it was best to try to transfer to, you know, a bigger school and, you know, to increase, like, you know, and help my chances of uh, getting to a, the next level. So I had um, talked with my family and I um, told them, you know, I wanted to transfer and everything. And like, what did they think about it? And, you know, they supported me, you know, they said it was my decision and they was going to support whatever decision I made. So you mentioned earlier your brother played for Coach White, so I know that plays a big role in, in how you ended up at Florida. But what made you say, okay, this is the right move now? I I, I know this is right. Um, my brother and like you know, he used to just like still always, you know, 
stay in touch with Coach White and everything like that. But um, when I hit the portal, you know, Coach White had um, called, and, you know, he um, talked to me. And, you know, he was just saying um, that they had a, you know, a spot open on the roster and everything, and they had love for me to come visit. And so I was just that – w- that was like a, a, a big commitment for me because, you know, mm-hmm. I knew them since I was about 10 years old. So the connection, you know, it was just like – it was just there and then, like, never left. When you came into the program, which guys did you gel with and who was it that really made the transition as easy as possible for you? Everybody, you know, came and walked with me with open arms. That's what, like, I kind of loved about, you know, being a part of this program. And um, I'll say um, Anthony uh, DeRuji, you know, he sat out with me last year. And um, we um, connected, you know, my visit, you know, like right away. Because uh, he went to Louisiana Tech as well. So that uh, that helped me get, like, a better, i say, understanding of him because we had a friend, a mutual friend that had went to um, Louisiana Tech as well. So. I knew of him, but, you know, we just never talked. And so when we got here, we lived together. And so, you know, we was just like, you know, connecting every day, have same classes, anything like that. You know, we just talking about, you know, like we got to like, you know, stay positive. You know what I'm saying? Stay stay up and like trying to encourage the team because, you know, we can't play this year, but, you know, we can do as much as we can to help. And then next year, you know, back home. In terms of, of personal development, did you have a plan last year for like, here's how I'm going to get better. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure that while I'm sitting out, I'm going to be in a different spot than I was before. Like what did that, how did you approach that? And, and what were your, what were your focuses? Um, mainly I wanted to, you know, get very like bigger and stronger, you know, so I can like, you know, keep up with like, you know, the physicality of mm-hmm. the SEC and everything. And I like the, just like the big time, like, you know, teams and everything like that. So, that was one of um, my main focuses, you know, and also um, just like just like my ball handling and everything like that, shooting, but just getting bigger and stronger, I would say, was my main focus just because of the physicality and how tough this league is. Now, I, I know it wasn't under the circumstances that you, you thought it would be while you were preparing for this year, but when you did get on the court for the first time as a Gator in the SEC, um, what did what did that feel like? It was just like, you know, I, I, I think of, for me, a sign of relief, you know, sitting out, you know, that whole year and then the pandemic hitting, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing if we was going to play this year. So I think just getting on that court, you know, for the first time just like gave me a sense of relief and like, you know, ready for anything. I know it's it's still early, but uh, just from, from what you've been able to, to pick up, how is playing in the SEC different from being in the Horizon League? What are the biggest differences in the game that you've found? I would say, like, the speed of the game, you know, is, like, you know, way faster, you know. The physicality is way tougher. And, like, you know, every night, you know, you can't go out and underestimate anyone. So I think, yeah, I think just, like, you can't underestimate anyone, you know, in this league because you never know, you know, who can have a good night, who can have a bad night. So I think just getting prepared, you know, for everyone and then learning what everybody can do and then playing plan your role. I know that the goal coming to the SEC was to play in front of packed houses, right? That, that energy, unfortunately, that, that's not able to happen right now. But there are lots of cardboard cutouts. I'm curious if you have a, a, a favorite cardboard cutout that you've seen at a game or multiple cardboard cutouts that you've seen at games. 
it's a lot of them. So, you know, but like I try to look at them, but like I like, you know, before the game and everything. But you know, sometimes like I'd be like trying to look, but you know, I can't find like, you know, which one I like. <laughs> but um I think they got some of the team, I think too. Okay. So I like mine a lot. Wish they'd let me keep that. <laughs> Have you uh, have you been heckled by a cardboard cutout yet, or are they staying pretty quiet when you're out there? Oh, they stay pretty quiet. I try to I try to zone I try to zone that out uh, while playing, <laughs> so you know, make it much easier. Um, if you could fill some seats with cardboard cutouts, who would you choose? Who who do you want to be at all your games out there in those cardboard cutouts? Kobe, most definitely. All Kobe everywhere. Kobe everywhere. <laughs> Kobe everywhere. Um, I guess this rolls into the next question I was going to ask you uh, about players that you admire, players you model your game after. Um, who are some of the guys on that list and why? Um, so, you know, like being a small guard and everything like that, you know, I try to watch like a lot of like, you know, guards like my size and see how like they work around the game and how like they impact the game by, you know, like not being the biggest and the strongest. So. I kind of try to model my game, like speed wise. I would say, Russell Westbrook wise, just trying to push the ball and transition down the court and everything like that. But you know, I, I watch a lot of like Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of um, like you know, old guards that went here, like Chris Chioza. You know how mm-hmm. Casey Hill, how they use their speed and you know defense and everything. So I I wouldn't say I model my game after you know Kobe or anything like that. Just like much smaller guards, you know, in my size and like how they impact the game. Um, a couple final things for you. In terms of uh, when you get away from the game, when you have some time off the court, what do you enjoy doing uh, when you do have a, a minute or two free? Um, I really like spending time, you know, with my family. Since I don't uh, get, really get to see them, you know, that much or anything like that. Or if I do go back home, like we're not to like, you know, somebody's always gone or, you know, we're never all together. So. I think I'm a big family man, so spending time with my family is like, you know, what I like to do in my free time. Um, During the 2020 quarantine period, what was your favorite TV show or or maybe multiple TV shows that you discovered during that time? Ooh, I watched a lot. Um, I would say I watched during the quarantine, I watched uh, Money Heist. That was one of my favorite shows. Um, I watched Outer Banks. Netflix mm. as well. I think that's I think that's one of the greatest shows ever. Outer Banks. Yeah, I'm gonna add that to my list. And Power. Power and Snowfall. Hopefully you got a lot of free time watch all those shows. Oh yeah, it's like <laughs> it'd be like right after practice or anything. I try to give me a little episode or two here. Squeeze them in where you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, you know, this has been obviously a strange season for, for so many reasons. Um the the big point of where things change obviously for your team is is Keontae. Um what was that like? How how has that really changed the the tenor of the season? Everything since Keontae had his his incident on the court. I think it changed. You know, I think it made um, made us want to play for him. You know, since he can't be out there on the court with us um, uh, um, because of the situation that happened. So I think that pulled everyone you know closer. You know, made us um, like really appreciate. You know the things that we have in life and, you know, the, like the game of basketball because it can be taken away at any moment from you. Mm-hmm. I think it just pulled, pulled everybody, like pulled everybody closer and just made us play as one 
so that we can um, continue the season and, like, seeing him back up and, you know, back to his normal self, you know, it really gave us, like, that sense of, you know, of, like, just confidence and just just, just uh, shock, you know. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you would never want that to happen to anyone. But just seeing him, how he just pushed through and the courage that he had and got back up and now just seeing him on the sideline with us, I think they gave everybody just, like, that relief. What has Coach Keontae been like? How has he been as a uh, as a cheerleader, as a guy giving pointers? Like, what, what what kind of things has he fed you so far? You know, he he he's great. You know, he um, he's always engaged in the game. You know, if, like he sees you doing anything, you know, like wrong or anything that he sees he can help you with. You know, he's gonna like he's gonna help you or gonna like pull you to the side, talk to you. Um, he's been a great leader. You know, we ain't been in the locker room or anything like that. Everybody, like, you know, like, if you see somebody's body language down, anything like that, you know, he'd get up and, you know, talk to the whole group and, like, you know, just tell us to keep fighting. So I think he's been, like, you know, a great leader and, you know, coach as well with the whole process. So I think he's been really uh, great. Final question for you, as you guys continue battling here in the SEC, um, what do you see right now as the most important things for this team to keep getting better and reaching that level that you hope to be at at the end of the season? We just have to do do what we um, do best. You know, every individual person has to play their role and, you know, do what we do best and just keep keep playing together and just fighting through adversity, you know, because, you know, we don't have one of our um, biggest, like, you know, biggest um, players um, out there. So a lot of the focus is going, you know, to like the other people. So I think that we just have to keep pushing through and just play, um, just keep playing for Keontae as well. Well, Tyree, thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, best of luck to you the rest of the season. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at floridagators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.